I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you ready? Hey guys, come on, bring it in. Welcome back to the podcast dedicated to the most precious human pastime. I sit down with friends, idols, and inspirations of mine to shoot the breeze about music, life, whatever. I'm Gregory Porter, and this is The Hang. If I had seen someone on TV or on a magazine cover that looked like me, maybe I wouldn't have felt as alone in high school. Because I was like, oh, I exist. On this episode, we welcome one of India's truly global superstars. You know, the judgment on the work is not the judgment on me. I spend a year making a movie and then somebody in two minutes is like, ah, that was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) An actress, producer, singer, activist, author of a recent memoir. In fact, I'm very happy that she's managed to carve out time to hang out with us. Let's meet Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Man, what is this space you are in? <laughs> well, you have a beautiful fireplace behind you, too. <laughs> well, I only lit my fire. Because you saw mine? I saw <laughs> I saw you in an interview with this gorgeous fire behind you, and I was like, okay, I can do the same. <laughs> Priyanka Chopra. Jonas, how are you? I'm very good, Gregory. How are you? I am. I'm good. I feel very lucky, very honored uh, to talk with you. You're busy. You're a busy woman. <laughs> I try to be. I try to be. You know what? This I... is a tough time to be busy. <laughs> it is. But you know what I was going to say? Generally, I'm, I'm never at home. Which is the reason why I have my fire lit, because I'm at home and I really like to create that homely vibe uh, when I'm at home. When I cook, I like the smells to waft all over the house and and the feeling of really being at home. So Mm. what I was thinking is as we have slowed down and been caused to consider sometimes even our very existence, our families. What is most important to us? Have you done that for yourself? People always say, what are the top five most important things to you? Have you, uh, in, in, in a way, made a list of the things that are most important to you since we've been in this pandemic? Um, I think I do actually play this game with my family or my friends, especially when I'm having a tough day, which I think is so easy to have almost every day, um, you know, being stuck at home um, in a world that's sort of stuck in flux mm-hmm. um i call someone whoever i'm speaking to and i ask them to count down five things that they're grateful for today including myself mm. in this moment right so gregory what are the five things you're grateful for in this moment and for me that would be being able to have this conversation with you um even though we can't be sitting in the same room mm. together but you know we have technology to be able to do it. I'm very grateful for 
for that. I'm grateful to be safe um, and healthy. I am grateful that my family is safe and healthy. I am grateful going to work at a time when a lot of people are not. And I'm grateful that um, I have a sense of peace with myself at this point and I'm not feeling anxious. Mm. And, you know, just doing these five things whenever I'm feeling crazy just makes me feel, and every day it's different. Yeah, It just makes me take stock of where I am, what I'm feeling, and not worry about what I don't have. Yeah. Normally, my 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 travel is 250 shows a year, and I had I had gotten used to that crazy schedule, and being in one place uh, initially, being in in lockdown, it was a pleasure initially, and but then I was like, okay, what next? What next? And so our minds, our bodies, our hearts. Even our relationships have to adjust. For me, um, you know, it's, it's, if, if, you, if I was uh, in an interview and you were asking me that question, the gift of love. I have a seven-year-old son, my wife, Victoria, my family members, my brother and sister. I have one brother that I lost uh, from COVID uh, early, in oh, the, so sorry. The, early in the pandemic. And music, because in music, for me, there's so many things that are connected to that. Family. My mother is deeply, deeply in my craft. And I was reading uh, some of your book, an excerpt from your book, and realizing how I think important your parents are in the foundation of who you are, obviously. But I think probably something that they gave you probably sticks with you in your career? Do you feel like there are some morals, standards, gifts, thoughts, or things that they've given to you that you put into your craft? Oh my gosh, definitely. I think my parents were so instrumental in who I am today. And their upbringing of me was so instrumental because I was always raised as a thinking child. I was always given credence to my opinions. Um, my, my dad was extremely creative. You know, every morning we would wake up with music. My mom loved music too. I had an influence of Hindi music from my dad and um, Western music from my mom. And my dad loved to sing. He used to do stage shows. Um, I think at that time he was told that, you know, he couldn't have a profession in music and he became a surgeon. But lo- music was always his first love. And, you know. I love the way you just. <laughs> Casually. <laughs> yeah. He couldn't be a singer, so he became. Yeah, I was thinking about being an astronaut, but, you know. <laughs> no, I'll tell you something about Indian people. Um, at least in that generation, there were three options. Doctor, engineer, lawyer. If you want a job, those are the three jobs that were available. <laughs> Most of my family is the three of those. That's um, awesome. We started bifurcating only after the next generation. <laughs> I think the gift of creativity is definitely something that I got from uh, my parents. Um, and the sense of duty, mm-hmm. work ethic, you know, discipline. My Both my parents were in the army, military, and uh, having a sense of, you know, this 
a sense of duty, basically, that yeah. when you take on something, your word is your bond. It must mean something. Yeah. You know, if you agree to something, that's your job. Like, I think those are two things that I really bring into my career every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that has defined me. Mm-hmm. You grew up in uh, in India, India and in and in the U.S. Uh-huh. Um, I was in India till I was twelve years old, and then I was in the States till I was about seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, and then I went back to India again uh-huh. for about ten years, and then moved to the States again for about <laughs> ten years. I literally live in both countries. Uh-huh. <laughs> and but you you must feel like uh, I mean now with your career it, you must feel like a citizen of the world really I have uh, felt like that for a, a while now um and I know this part of the world is probably just getting to know me but I've had an almost 20 year career in entertainment now um and within that I've had the good fortune of just living all over the world at the moment I'm living in London yeah. because I'm filming a movie and a TV show and um I think that was another thing that I've learned from my my military parents was to be able to adjust to new surroundings to be able to think of them as a sense of adventure instead of um you know being fearful of getting out of what i'm comfortable or what i'm used to you know mm-hmm. routines change environments change people change but i i think i i brought my sense of curiosity um from my parents you know mm-hmm. always wanting to go to a new place and that was a lot of my childhood was about that Mm. I I listen to your voice and at first of all your speaking voice very beautiful you could you could have worked just with that <laughs> when you wanted to oh, but there, there's a richness in your voice that makes me just want to just give you a song and like girl let me hear you sing this slow ballad <laughs> <laughs> which is so 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 i looked up and i i found some of the music that you worked on but they were a couple that were the fast songs and i was like oh, pop, pop yeah it was a pop it was a pop song which is cool hey i love it i love it all but i wanted to just give you a ballad one of those slow silky ballads because you have such a rich tone in your speaking voice. Well, let me I you know, I was signed to Interscope Records um when I did that music and I just you know, I I have sung ballads but they're sitting on my computer somewhere I didn't end up releasing them because uh-huh. I pivoted out of music and mm-hmm. started, you know, doing acting a little bit more but um you know, I'm it's it's something that's it's unfinished business for me. Yeah. It's it's still in there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe someday. Yeah. Never <laughs> say never. I mean, music is such a large part of my life. I wake up the first thing in the morning I do is um as soon as I'm awake, I grab my cup of coffee which is beside my bed and I put on some music. I have music on all day when I'm reading scripts I have music on when I'm having dinner I have music on mm-hmm. and it's dictated by how I'm feeling so it's such a large part of my life that it would be fun to dabble in it again all different types of uh, music uh... yeah um you know I go from jazz sometimes mm-hmm. to you know pop music in yeah. the morning when I'm like having a shower it's like you know um or like you know I listen to like lo-fi 
you know, or piano or like just instrumental music when I'm mm-hmm. reading because words confuse me. Hindi music, 90s music because I'm a 90s kid. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I'm really moody about the music, but it's just I love every kind of it because mm-hmm. every kind of music gives you a different feeling. Mm-hmm. It's so magical. Mm. Uh, you, you mentioned with your, your parents, again, uh, many times on The Hang, I'm going back to the, the foundation of what makes, what makes you, you. Um, because I feel like in many ways, I'm reliving parts of my childhood in my music, trying to sometimes mm. correct some ills or some mistakes or some things that have happened in my childhood or in my youth, I'm constantly considering my childhood. And when I, when I look at your work, I'm wondering in introducing yourself to an American or a Western audience, in presenting yourself in interviews, in speaking about the things that you care about and feminism, women's rights or the rights of people, poor, the underdog, children. Do you feel like you're representing yourself as a brown-skinned woman? Are you rep- or do you feel like you're, do you feel like you're carrying with you your people or your family with you when you are in Hollywood or, or any place now? I do think so. I think I wasn't as aware that I needed to do that till I started, you know, a couple of times when I was in high school in India, I mean, in America, you know, I was one of the very few Indian kids in my school. I felt, you know, different. I, I, I wasn't, I was never as aware of my ethnicity as I was when I was in high school in the States. Just by the fact that I, you know, was different. And um, I was one of few kids in my high school at that point. Um, but afterwards, when I came back to Hollywood, and this is 10 years ago, um, or six, seven years ago, and I started seeking work here, the lack of representation of a brown person and the the lack of the you know, even consideration that there is a lack of representation, that when you think of mainstream entertainment in Hollywood, um, you don't see a leading man or a leading lady who is brown. Even though when you look around you in America itself, you know, there's a lot of Indian people who are a part of the American population. And we're one-fifth of the world's population and consume a tremendous amount of English language entertainment, but you don't see that. So when I came into Hollywood and I started seeking work here, that's when I started feeling it the most. And I think, I remember when CAA, which is a talent agency, signed me for the first time, the headline in one of the trade magazines was CAA signs its, um, its very first Bollywood star. It didn't even have my name in the headline. <laughs> you know, so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm really carrying my people. <laughs> right. When right. I'm just a girl looking for a job, honestly. <laughs> you're, you're carrying about two billion people on your back, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. But it comes from lack of opportunity. I mean, it comes from lack of representation. We keep saying this word and it becomes trite, but like if you really think about what that means is and how important it might have been for, you know, my younger self in high school at 15, if I had seen someone on TV or, you know, on on a magazine cover that looked like me, maybe I wouldn't have felt as alone in high school, you know? Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I exist. I'm seen. What is it that was driving you after having such a great career uh, in, in Bollywood to continue uh, with a career uh, in Hollywood? It's, it's funny you ask that question because actually it was not something I pursued. Um, I had this amazing opportunity to come to America to make music, not to work in Hollywood, which is not something I'd even done in India. I always sang. I loved singing. Like I told you, um, you know, music, I've grown up in a very musical home. I loved it, but I'd never done it professionally. And here I was given this opportunity to work with Jimmy Iovine, Interscope Records, and I'm just someone who likes to do new things yeah. and different things. So I stepped onto that boat just to see if I could creatively push myself into a different avenue. And I feel like that was sort of destiny taking me across the shores. And when I got into America and I was making music for about four or five years, um, I started meeting people within Hollywood and I started, you know, going to the same parties. Music and movies are so sort of combined um, in in the Hollywood scheme of things. And a lot of people started telling me that I should probably, you know, work within the acting thing here as well. And, And I got curious about growth and evolution. I'm still doing Hindi films. I haven't done one for a couple of years, two years now, but I still do Hindi movies and it's, you know, it's, it's what's taught me everything that I am when I walk onto a set anywhere in the world. It's because I've learned from Indian movies and I have the confidence that I know my job. Mm. Um, and I think it was that confidence that allowed me to try all over again because I knew that I knew my job. I just wanted the opportunities, which I didn't really see that existed. I wanted to be part of mainstream Hollywood. I wanted, I didn't want to be a check in the box. I didn't want to, you know, just be a character that sort of was a diversity hire. Um, but, you know, I wanted to lead shows. And when that opportunity came to me um, by ABC Studios, they um, signed me for a talent deal and asked me the kind of work that I wanted to do. And I said, I don't want to be stereotyped into, you know, how you usually see brown people in entertainment. And to their credit, they gave me, um, I auditioned for three or four shows, which I'd loved, but um, the show I ended up doing was called Quantico. And I played an um, Indian American FBI agent, which had nothing to do with anything. It was just a story. And I, as an artist, just wanted to be a story without, you know, my ethnicity should be my asset. It shouldn't be my definition. And to me, that was, that's what drove me. And I, then that became sort of a quest. I want to, I want to push the envelope to start doing that. It's too far and few in between. I want to bring a consistency 
um, an opportunity, which as a producer now, I have the ability to do. I have a first look deal with Amazon. Um, you know, like with The White Tiger, I'm creating a lot of movies and TV shows that are representative of South Asians and South Asian culture and of women, um, you know, in leading parts in, in mainstream entertainment. So I'm very, very excited about sort of this new pivot um, of my artistic expression, which is to be able to put content out there that I, you know, saw a gap in when I started, when I joined, or when I was seeking work in Hollywood. Was it, was, is White Tigers your first time producing? In America. It's my yeah. second time in America. I did another uh, movie, uh, which was a horror movie with Blumhouse called Evil Eye. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, my production company is about eight years old. We've made about 12 movies in India uh-huh. and now just about moved here and are continuing that process in English language entertainment. That's kind of a pretty big hit uh, for your... <laughs> <laughs> right. Second one. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Very cool. Because when I watched when I watched White Tigers, I was curious as to if they're first of all, amazing, amazing movie. Thank you. Was it made for Hollywood? Yes. It's it, I mean, it was an English language adaptation. I mean, it's an English language book, so it was an English language movie. But we tried to be real with the world. Um, mm-hmm. so we have a little bit of Hindi, but it's made for in terms of language, um, I, but it's, it's adapted from a novel, uh, which was a Man Booker Prize winning novel in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. And it was New York Times bestseller and stuff. So it's sort of adapted from that. And our director, um, the novel was dedicated to him. Mm-hmm. So he knows the world really well. Your character in particular, coming from the West and and... And then being in India and having these Western righteousness about what is right and what is wrong, stratifications of people's lives and what they can do and the rights that they have. I love the way that the script and the way that you guys played with that because it was really, um, it was profound. And I wondered if that story that script has any relationship to your life as an Indian woman coming or Indian, uh, maybe I can say child, uh, coming into Western life? Two very crucial questions in there. But first of all, thank you for identifying that because I loved that about the movie and I loved that about the novel is the gray of humanity. And especially with my character, with her going back Um, with her going back to India and then having a moralistic stand um, to this guy who was stuck in the vortex of poverty. And and she goes to him, I pulled myself out. My parents worked in a bodega. You need to, what do you want? As if it was that easy, as if he didn't want this all his life. But, you know, it's chastising him for something he has no control over. And I loved playing that because as an Indian, I know the reality. I don't come from that perspective, uh, which is a little bit Western. You're absolutely right. And second of all, the humanity of this character that she's, she's moralistically right till it's convenient. Right. As soon as it wasn't convenient, she stood back. She was like, okay, (laughs) I'm not a good good person anymore. Like, (laughs) 
which was so cold blooded. First of all, the lead if you were you you kicked you kicked some some righteous ass in the movie. The, Thank <laughs> you. The, the the lead actor Adarsh. His name is Adarsh Gorov. Adarsh, and I apologize for not uh, no, memorizing his name, but damn, mm. don't you love it? When you when you come into something that is, uh, you know, even if this the reason why I asked if this movie was made for Hollywood, because it seems because it seems like he didn't give a damn about Hollywood. It, uh, he, he's almost acting. You guys are almost acting like it's a documentary. It's so real in a way. His facial expressions, the way, you know, the uh, the politician, the way she spat on the table, the way it was just like just really so like uh, real and raw and truthful the human stories uh, in the, in the movie were were really so truthful and i found myself at the end of the movie saying being okay with a little crime you know <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> i was like i mean and the the point of the movie really is to have this debate right. to say how how right is right and how far do you go and like questioning all of those things. Yeah. The moral question that that brings in thinking about my relatives, uh, in thinking about people who are suffering under some type of oppression today is, is a deep, deep question. I'm, I'm not a violent person and I, and I want uh, things to be resolved uh, in righteous ways, uh, which is why I love the gifts that we have, the ability to change people's hearts with our words, with the things that we write down on paper. This is such a beautiful gift because sometimes we can affect thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people's minds and hearts in a beautiful way, even beyond politics. But the idea that the least one, the powerless one, the ones with little voices, the ones that have been diminished. Empowering those people is something that my mother gave to me and something that I, I, I can't make a record without putting something about those people in the music. And, and so I was wondering, in your choosing to do uh, certain projects in the in the projects that you are working on is is it something that that you think about your career can be a help absolutely i think um you know the fact that we're public people first of all gives us an influence um and you know second of all being creative people that's our ammunition to be able to amplify you know whatever we can we're not policy makers we're not lawmakers we can't change circumstances but we can definitely change minds and influence thoughts and i think you know as as the producer of i'm an executive producer of the white tiger as well um as a producer for me that was something that i was so proud of is to be able to create sort of a conversation which is a very universal theme with this movie um which is the class divide that we live we live with um and especially in 2020 we've been able to see that a lot more right the haves and the have nots and um i think we as a world just a privileged world have become so desensitized to um a vast majority of the world right like when is the last time you've driven past a homeless shelter and not looked at 
you know, someone or it's just the world we've started living in. And I feel like as a producer, as a creative person, I enjoyed the fact that I could be part of storytelling that is a mirror to society, including myself. And that's what I can do, right? Is provoke thoughts, provoke conversation, provoke deba- debate. And um, it, it seemed like this novel definitely do, did that, but so did the movie. And that mm. makes me very proud mm. on so many levels. Uh, that as well as the fact that, you know, um, this was an all Indian star cast. That was a number one movie on Netflix, which is the largest streaming platform in the world. That's historic too. <laughs> so I was just very, very proud of it on many levels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it isn't, and, and it is, 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 isn't it, the the proudest thing for me is that I've had the opportunity to sell, you know, or for people to listen to millions of millions of people to listen to the music that comes out of me that is for a good purpose, for a good cause and has a good message in it. I love it when something goes viral, essentially when something becomes popular, but there's there's some goodness in it. There's what you believe the gems of kindness and and fairness, a mutual respect is in the music, and that gets spread out to the world. I think I think if I would sing something that was I, everybody loves, just you know, shake your booty music. It, when you go to the dance club, that's what you want, right? But if you can have something that is is that can become popular and it'll have the core of who you are as a person. That is something that's really beautiful. It really is. And it's, it's so amazing to be able to be in a field that where we can do that. Your book. Can you talk about uh, the. <laughs> oh, that's my puppy, Diana. And uh, no, that's, it's actually cool. It's home. It's she natural. She already has an opinion like her mama. <laughs> Hey guys, you're listening to The Hang. Hit subscribe or follow on your podcast thingamajig of choice to get every episode of The Hang fresh off the presses. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Your memoir, your book. Um, you know, it's it was 
it's a lot harder than you think when you're like, all right, I'm going to write the story of my life. It sounds interesting when you think about it, but when you have to actually put it down in a book, it's like, um, you know, it takes you to places and it takes you to places where maybe you weren't ready to go to or places that you had shoved under the rug and not looked at for a really long time. And when you, you know, when you, when words come out and, you know, you're a musician, you'll understand this, but when words come out of your mind and become something tangible, yeah, that's a very powerful thing. For me, it was very healing as a process. I've always been so curious about writing, whether, whether it's music or whether it's, I've written op-eds and, um, but I've never written, I've never written a book. I always wanted to, but putting those two things together, which is like actually being able to deal with the things that I probably was afraid of dealing with or thinking about along with creating something which was interesting and sort of was my voice. And, you know, directly I've, as a public person, you know, when I give interviews, it's, it's always sort of adapted into, and, you know, people, there's always a medium, but this was me for me directly in my voice. And I felt a sense of pride having finished that. And also I, I felt a sense of closure um, to a chapter sort of in my life from my childhood to now. I'd, I'd been running so fast at such a fast pace for so many years that I didn't have time to stop and take stock and just think, appreciate, feel um, all the things that happened to me. And this book helped me do that. Yeah. Writing and the, the ability to get what it is that you have in your heart onto paper. It's really a wonderful thing. And it's in some ways, many ways, it's art therapy. In reading just little bits of, of you and your relationship with your father, there was one point where you were talking about riding on his motorbike and these just sweet little moments that you had with your father. It was just, it, it brought me to tears because um, mm. I wanted <laughs> I wanted sweet little moments like that with, 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 with my father and my, and I didn't have them. And my remedy and my healing for that has been a memoir of another kind, a melodic memoir, a song. And the, the very first time that mm-hmm. I considered myself a songwriter mm-hmm. was when I started to write songs about my father and that relationship, ultimately about love. And so the idea of putting down both your joys and your pains, I'm, I'm always drawn to um, something very powerful that happened in, in my childhood, whether it was a piece of music or a movie, uh, something that, um, you know, that becomes like a... Uh, in a way, a benchmark in your life that, that made you see things differently. In a way, some thing where I saw myself in a piece of art. Mm. And so that's, uh, you're like enormous on social media. And I don't know, if you, I'm sure you don't get a chance to read all of the, the messages that come your way, but I bet there are... <laughs> Right, because because I'm quite small compared to you, but um, 
you probably just get a cross section of 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 uh, of what you hear about, and it's probably some very very encouraging things uh, that your fans have to say because you're you're breaking down walls, opening up doors, turning on lights, and opening eyes, and uh, it's a cool thing to see from from my perspective. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Gregory. I mean, listen, with the brick bats come the bouquets, you know, where there is good, there is bad as well. And social media is, it's that beast, you know. Um, I very early on, I, I love um, being able to access people who are interested in me, well-wishers, curiosity, having a sense of a direct conversation with, with people. I, I love social, but the negativity and the, the trolls and I mean, all of that is crazy. So over the last few years, I think I came to a conclusion of I have so much love and support, like you said, um, that I just stopped reading all the bad stuff mm-hmm. and just focused on creating a really positive relationship with people who are truly interested. And, you know, um, I just distanced myself a little bit from from the negativity and it's really helped me have a more positive sort of relationship with the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it's interesting. When I when I come into a new market, there's always uh you know, those uh, first initial days can be like weird. You know, when when there's a when there's a people who don't know you, mm-hmm. you have to start from the beginning. And it's always so strange because you had such, you know, enormous success, you know, over 50 movies in India. And then you come to the United States and you have to start all over and explain yourself again and why this is this and why this is that. So with me, so like the, maybe they start, OK, we're going to start, uh, you know, working you in, in the U.S. You have a lot of success internationally. And now I have to start all over again. Well, why do you wear that hat? Well, why do you sing with that? <laughs> There's a, and you have right. to start all over again. And um, and those and and sometimes the initial questions can be when people can consume something that you've put into the world, whether it's pictures, music, movies, whatever it is in entertainment, they feel like they can take scissors and cut it up. And if you allow yourself to be that thing that you're giving to them, then they cut you up. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful and not allow yourself to be sliced and picked apart by the very thing that is a gift to you. You know, so it's it's a tricky thing now that we are extend ourselves so far into the world. If I'm, I, I kind of, look, it's never easy, right? Because we, our jobs literally are, to create something and give it to somebody else to critique, like or not. Right. Right. That's literally we like literally get paid for it. That's like our job. So, <laughs> so I spend a year making a movie, and then somebody in two minutes is like, "Ah, that was terrible." <laughs> <laughs> right. So very early on, I had to sort of make peace with the fact that. You know, the judgment on the work is not the judgment on me. Um, And to differentiate, even though I leave a part of my soul in every 
artistic endeavor that I, you know, I, I, I step into, but I, I realized that, you know, there are days I could be making something that people resonate with. And there are days I could be making something that people don't resonate with, mm -hmm. but that's not a reflection of who I am. That's not a reflection of the person I am or my abilities because your abilities should be decided by what you do after failure, because failure will come, my friend, especially in our jobs. It will come. It's what do you do after it? Do you have the ability to dust yourself off and try something else again? Or are we going to be burdened by the failure that's inevitable in a creative field like ours? Because people's opinions are different. Yeah. And we're in a sub subjective art, right? Like right. It's, it's subjective. Someone's going to like it. Someone's not going to like it. Right. We can't force our opinions upon them. Mm. So very early on, I kind of came to peace with the fact that these are two different things. And there will be times where people might not resonate with what I make. But I'm, I'm willing to try. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to create something that actually touches people, you know, to be a student of life mm -hmm. and of the arts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think um, in my music and what, what people, uh, how they connect with me is sometimes how I deal with uh, self-doubt and insecurity in the music. I call it masculine vulnerability. Um, but I have no idea exactly what that means. It's just simply vulnerability. It doesn't have a, a masculine or feminine, feminine edge to it. But uh, how we see you as a bold, strong, capable, confident actor and performer now. But were there some moments in your life where self-doubt and insecurity crept in? Of course it did, you know, as... Um walled as someone is, even if you are, you know, walk out with confidence and it seems like this person is made of steel, everyone is human and everyone bleeds red. And, you know, I did too many times and I still do. I still have days where, you know, it gets a lot and you're just trying to keep your head above water. I think the one thing that I didn't really know very well in my 20s that I kind of came to the conclusion that helped me in my 30s is that we don't always need to be confident. You know, you only need to use confidence when you need it. It's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to feel feelings and feel bad and, you know, cry and feel sad and, you know, finding someone you love and being able to rest your head on their shoulders and admit to the fact that, you know, you feel sad it's okay to allow ourselves that we don't always have to be, you know, tight and caught up, you know, with all our muscles really, really rigid, just let it go. And I feel like it's so liberating to take the pressure that we put on ourselves when it comes to our emotions. And I think that's what sort of you meant by masculine vulnerability is society puts those kind of pressures on men and women and on people that men shouldn't cry and men should be tough and men should not feel and, you know, and um, then you cry like a girl because girls cry. I mean, what are these labels that have been created? Everyone is a heart. Everyone is going to feel hurt. And we need to empower our society and our kids, in fact, to be okay with feeling to be okay with vulnerability because that's where confidence comes from. And I don't think a lot of people realize that confidence does not come from showing the world that you are unbeatable. 
confidence comes from feeling inside of you that you're unbeatable and that on, only happens mm. with being able to deal with your vulnerabilities mm. again something i did not know in my 20s mm. only realized um in my 30s that oh it, it does really come from inside and i don't need to always have it it's one thing that i always am telling my nieces and nephews is to remember these moments of insecurity and and uh, unsureness um, because I tell them that it is something that's going to give you strength when you're when you're older, and and uh, and it's, I think it uh, that speaks to uh, just just the words that you gave us, the words of wisdom that you just gave <laughs> us. I really <laughs> I really appreciate it. I, I have a uh, cheeky and corny question for you. That I already, I already know the answer. I already know the answer uh -oh, to. Uh -oh. <laughs> Are you related to Deepak Chopra? <laughs> no, but <laughs> never met him. Um, have heard of him, but I've seen his books at airports. <laughs> no, but there's, there's a funny thing because um, I, I worked for Deepak. Mm. In San Diego, after college, uh, he had a center for well-being in La Jolla, in San Diego. And I was there. I worked in the massage department. And I'm a bit of a chef, a bit of a cook. And the very first oh. time that I cooked in a professional kitchen was with uh, Deepak Chopra in his center. Funny thing is, the very first person to record me in the world was Deepak Chopra. And Aww. I don't know, he's, a, he's a, obviously a very spiritual, in a way, mystical person, but and a very kind person. But he, he invited uh, Rosa Parks, great civil rights icon, Rosa Parks. Of course. To give a speech at the Chopra Center. And I was so low on the totem pole, didn't have a music career, was just finished college, didn't, I was a nobody. But in a way, Rosa Parks walked through the front doors of the Chopra Center and I felt like just her being there elevated my status. Uh. It elevated me. And I had I had never had really the guts to, you know, like I said, I was just a person who was doing small jobs at the Control Center. I was always nervous and scared to talk to Deepak and to talk to any of the people who were higher ups in that organization. But when Rosa Parks stepped through the front doors and I saw her before she, you know, she had a full day there. After seeing her, I got the confidence to go to to Deepak and say, before Miss Parks speaks, I would love to sing a song for her. I, I was one of the only black uh, people who were working at the, at the center at that time. So I got the opportunity to talk to Rosa Parks and ask her what, what her favorite song was. And it happened to be my mother's favorite song. So, oh, wow. <laughs> right. So wow. right, it was an amazing, amazing experience. So oh I gosh. sang, I sang to this this national treasure, civil rights icon, my mother's favorite song. Her speech and my song went so well that Deepak says, "We have to make a 
a record of this. We have to make a CD of this and put it out into the world. And uh, I agreed to it, and but it was my it was my very first utterance on a record is with Deepak, Rosa Parks, and Gregory Porter. Yeah, I don't know if you can find wow, it anymore. Wow, what a but story I, to tell! Yeah, yes. <laughs> Way to win at life, Gregory. <laughs> Who could top that story? My first. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he made everything wonderful. But Oh, how amazing. Thank you so much. It was really awesome to get, you know, this, these, you know, just bits of wisdom from these, these people that we watch every day and love. And, uh, you know, I just, just, just give me something from your life of great success that can help other people get over that little self-doubt and insecurity about whatever it is, whatever it is that they have. And, uh, and I know with the book and with the movie and just being who you are, you're talking to people all the time, every day. So I really appreciate you giving me this time and your, and your very busy schedule. I really do. Thank no, you so of much. Of course. Thank you so much. Um, but I, I love your question because I think sometimes it happens that people see you know, a long traject upward trajectory for a very long time in people's careers. And you think that, oh, wow, look at this person, you know, sitting at the top of the mountain. And like, that's not, we, you don't, you're never always on the top of the mountain. You have to have started somewhere. It's an right. uphill climb and it's full of many, many failures. And that's okay. Yeah. I think the one thing that I tell a lot of young people when they're starting out is you know, we hold ourselves back so much because we're afraid of what would be on the other side. Because if I fail at the thing that I'm trying, I'm going to be a failure forever. But that's an untrue narrative. That is not true. It's about making movements. It's about taking the first step, slowly another step, then the third one. And slowly you look behind and you'll have a 20-year career. Yeah. Even though you may have misstepped sometimes, tripped sometimes, fallen, dust yourself off and take another step. Just keep moving forward is so important. Blessings. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, you are already an extraordinary artist. And your work is unfinished. You have much, much more to do, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And I thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me here on The Hang. Thank you so much for having me and for our mutual fires that, you know, make us make me feel like we're in the same room. <laughs> right. <laughs> And there we go. Still so much more to discover about Priyanka. And I look forward to hearing her sing a ballad one day when the time is right. Thank you so much, Priyanka. And as always, my friends, thank you for popping by. Until next time, I'm Gregory Porter. And this has been a Cup and Nuzzle production. 